You guys doing good this morning? You guys have a good week? The snow is back. Somebody in here is excited and you need help. And so uh, if this is your first time here, welcome home. My name is Muta. I'm one of the servants here at Relevant Church. And uh, I just want to welcome you home. You could have picked anywhere else to be this morning. You could have been this way or that way. You could have stayed home and said, you know, it's snowing today and I'm just going to stay in bed. But you decided to come out. So just want to say thank you for being here. Welcome home. And if this is your first time here, I want to share a little bit about Relevant Church. At Relevant, we want to do one thing and one thing well. We want to proclaim that Jesus Christ is relevant in every sphere of life, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether it's at play, wherever we are, Jesus is relevant because his presence is there everywhere. And we try to do that by creating just an atmosphere where we learn to passionately follow Jesus, love across boundaries, and make a tangible difference in our community, region, and world. And that's who we are here at Relevant Church. And so that's what we're about. Today is our final message in our Get Your Ship Together series. This series has been uh, a series to really just help us get 2017 in order. Anybody has some uh, big goals for 2017, like some real tangible things that you want to hit and say, I see you, Rhonda. Yeah, I see you, Larry, Christine. Yeah, we've got some things this year that we know, like, God, I just need you in this. And the best way for us to get to that point, the best way for us to have a banner year in 2017 is if we got our ship in order. And so we've talked about a couple ships that we need to get in order. The first ship we talked about was worship. And then we talked about relationship. And then last week we talked about fellowship. And this week we're going to talk about stewardship. This word stewardship. Do it, do me a favor and go with me to Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, house crew, Christine's got some Bibles. She'll be passing them out to you. I see one right here in the front row. Matthew chapter 25, we'll be beginning in verse 14. We're just going to jump right into the text for a moment. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, I believe it's ver- page 539 in the Bibles that she's handing out. Uh, We need one more up here. Alex needs one up here. If you got it, say, I got it. If you don't got it, say, hurry up. That didn't work because that means you don't got it. I'll I'll start with you, without you. (laughs) All right, cool. Let's read this text. We're going to read through the text, and then we're going to go back through it um, a little bit. This is the text. It's It's in a section of the Bible called the parable of the talents. All right, so let's read. 14, it says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who came, who called, excuse me, his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he, who made, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. 
Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came afterward, uh, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have given, ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what his, he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, thank you so much for your word this morning, God. I thank you so much for bringing us all here. Thank you that your presence uh, met us here, Lord. We don't need to usher you in because you're already here. And God, I pray that you may speak to us, open up our hearts, open up our minds so that we can hear from you, Lord. And God, I pray that when, as, as we walked in, Lord, we will leave greater and change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so how many of you guys in here remember your first car? How many of you guys remember your first car? How many of you guys remember your first apartment? That was awesome, right? Great sense of independence. There was, it was like you can go out and come in whenever you want to. It was the greatest feeling in the world. Even if it was a little hoopty like I had, it was yours and you loved it. My first car was a Mazda 323. It was gold, and it, it, it didn't even have the hubcaps on it. Standard shift, and I loved that little thing. And it was a hand-me-down from my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law, he was young, he was hip, so he had put a sound system in this little thing. And, man, I used to drive that thing all over the place. I remember I got it in the ninth grade. I was the youngest kid in school to have my car, so I was like the coolest dude there. I love my little hoopty. We would stop by the sit-go station on our way to school and get some cappuccino. And I just thought I was a stuff, even though this was an ugly little car. But I loved my car. I had so much pride in my car. I was the coolest guy in my circle. Now, who remembers when you got that upgrade? That car that changed the game for you. No longer the hoopty. This time you could actually maybe afford this car. And this car, maybe it had exactly kind of what you wanted in it. And you took pride in that thing. You shined it up. You kept it clean. You did all types of stuff to it. Because you know that was your car. For me, it was a 96 Ford Pro GT. It was red. I think we got, do we have an image of it? So this wasn't my car, but it looked exactly like this car without the stripe in the middle. It was red. It was fiery red. I had a lowering kit on it. The rims were awesome. And uh, uh, back in the day here in in Michigan, I think you still can't do it in Michigan. You can't have all your windows tinted. So I did uh, something wrong. I hope we don't have any police in here. I went to South Bend and got my license at my cousin's house and put my address there. Don't record this. Like, cut this out to see. And so I had window tint on this thing, 
And it was amazing. I used to ride around. Christine, remember, I had little bucket seats in there, racing bucket seats. I mean, there were seat covers, but they looked like bucket seats. And it was awesome. I was riding in this car. This was my favorite car. But the way I got this car is a little interesting. It was a car that changed the game for me. But the way I received this car was a little crazy. See, my dad used to go to this church. And one day I went to his church with him, and as we were leaving the parking lot, this red Ford Probe caught my eye at this house. There was a for sale sign on it. I knew I needed a new car, and I knew I needed to upgrade from the Mazda 323. So I was getting ready to uh, 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 purchase this car, and I'd taken my dad over there, and I was like, Dad, check this out. Look at it. Can you look over it for me? And he was like, man, this is a really nice car. I said, yeah. He was like, can you really afford it? And especially with the insurance, because, you know, insurance is going to kick up. It's a sports car. I said, well, I'll work it out. I'll work it out. He's like, you sure you have all the money? I'm like, well, I'll save up a little bit more. But I'll get it. We test drove it. Thing was sweet. And so a few days go by. In fact, maybe a week or so goes by. And I show up at my parents' house. And guess what's sitting in the driveway? The red Ford probe. So I get out my car and I run inside. I'm like, dad, you got the car for me. And he was like, no, I got the car for me. I was like, you, you're, you're kidding. You're joking. He was dead serious. He's like, no, this is my car. I paid for it. It's on my insurance. It's my car. Heart was hurt. Hurt. I didn't want to talk to my dad forever. You're not my father. You don't love me. And so a couple days go by, and he calls me to come by the house. I get to the house, and he's like, all right, son. Here goes the keys to the car. I've put you on my insurance. The car is in my name, so take good care of it. See, the reason that I kept it here for a little while is I wanted to make sure it was inspected, that my buddies took a look at it, they checked the engine. It's a solid car. Take great care of it. But remember, this is my car. And if at any point I want this car back, I will take my car back. But feel free, enjoy, use it. See, my dad knew one thing. My dad knew that, honestly, I really couldn't afford the car. I was a college student. I had other bills. I had an apartment. And to put on a a car with insurance and all of that type of stuff, it would have stretched my budget a little bit too much. So my father put the car in his name. He put the insurance on him. And he called me to steward the car. Somebody knows where I'm going with this. See, God built his church on Christ's back. He, he, he put this institute, this mo- he instituted this movement that would be a game changer for so many people's lives. And he knew we couldn't handle the price that, pay, that was paid to make sure this movement was instituted. And then he invited us to be a part of it. A movement where billions of people would be changed for eternity. 
their life would be impacted more than my life was impacted by the little Ford probe that eventually ended up sitting in the junkyard because I ran that thing to death. But he knew that this vehicle would outlast anything and would be bigger than any of us. And there was no running it into the ground. See, my dad gave me a car. God has given us his church. What are we going to do about it? So in this verse, verses that we're reading, Jesus is telling this parable. And what a parable is, if you're unfamiliar with parables are, parables are fictional stories that are teaching a point. These stories that Jesus told, he's, he's in this moment contrasting real Christianity, faithful Christianity, to one that is not. He's contrasting somebody who is a faithful Christian over somebody who's not. Somebody who's stewarding their faith well over somebody who is not. And we see that there's a gift entrusted to some servants here. So we're going to go through them verse by verse again. So grab your Bibles. We're going to dig in and talk a little bit about this. Verse 14 and 15, it says, For it will be like a man, talking about the kingdom of God, this, this faith that is inside of us, for it will be like a, 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 a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them this property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. See, here goes the thing. These servants probably don't even know that it's coming. See, these servants were probably unassuming. They were just living their life, doing their thing, and then all of a sudden the master shows up and he's like, hey, I need you, you, and you. I need you to come here for a moment. I'm about to give you these things. It didn't say that they deserved it at all. It didn't say that they'd done anything to merit this. It was a gift that he gave them to steward. And as we can see, he was probably wealthy because a talent was equivalent to 15 years' worth of pay. So one got 75 years' worth of pay. Imagine your boss showing up to you and saying, hey, I got something for you. I need you to hold, like, a few lifetimes worth. Put in your account. I'm going on a trip. 75 years worth of pay he's given to this guy. And the other guy, he gives him 30, guy, 30 years worth of pay. And the other one, he gives him 15 years worth of pay, which is a lot of money. And according to his own wisdom, he gives apportionately what they need. Not that one other person deserves more, another deserves less. He just knows as the master, this is how much you can steward, and this is how much you're going to steward, and this is how much you're going to steward. Point number one in your teaching sheets. Stewardship recognizes that the gift entrusted to me. Excuse me. Stewardship recognizes that I am sovereignly chosen. I almost jumped to number two. I'm so, I'm so hype about this message. I was talking to my buddy, uh, Robert Trice, who's the pastor of Relevant in Grand Rapids. We've got a sister church in Grand Rapids. And every week, he calls me. He's like, what you got? And we're sitting there talking about it, and I was preaching to him, so I'm trying to get ahead already. So it's point number one, stewardship recognizes that I am sovereignly chosen. Check out John 15 and 16. 
This is Jesus talking. Whenever we hear Jesus talking in the Bible, we really lean in. We believe that the entire Bible is God's word. But when we see those red letters, if you got one of those red letters, we pay extra special attention. It should be on the screen here. It says, you did not choose me. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He's talking to people who are following him. And he's saying, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And when Jesus is telling his disciples, we are Jesus' disciples, people who follow Jesus. Uh, Christianity just means people who want to be Christ-like, people who are following the way of Jesus Christ. And so he's telling me, he's telling you, he's saying, you didn't choose me. You didn't just come into this thing willy-nilly. You didn't just get this faith one morning and say, you know what, I should be saved today. I'm just, I'm just going to choose it right now. Just He's saying, I chose you. I began to work inside of you first. Ephesians 2.8, Paul, another prolific writer in the Bible. Paul wrote a great deal of the New Testament. We see this as one of the most spiritual, one of the most thoughtful guys. And this is what he says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved. And this word grace is, we, we always talk about this unmerited favor. It means you didn't do anything to deserve it. You weren't expecting it. You didn't go anywhere to receive it. You, in fact, you didn't even deserve this thing. But he gave it to you freely. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's like the master showing up and saying, I'm going to give this servant this amount and this servant this amount. And I'm going to show up and I'm going to give it to them freely. And that's what our faith looks like. God prepared beforehand the works that we would do and that he would give us this gift of faith that we would steward it. God has given us his church. What are we going to do about it? Stewardship recognizes that I am sovereignly chosen. That was point number three. Going on to 16 and 18. 16 through 18. He says, he who had received five talents went at once and traded them with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his money. And we see that with these individuals, uh, they recognize something. They're like, this is not going to last long. The master is eventually going to come and take this money that he gave us. So we've got to do something with it. Two of them act industriously. They go and they double up on the money. The one guy says, man, I am not going to risk this. I'm going to throw it in the ground and so that when he comes back, I'm not going to get in trouble if I end up losing his money. But they all here, it looks like, acted with a sense of urgency. They didn't wait. They didn't think about it. They didn't sit there and ponder and say, hmm, well, if this happens and this happens, they didn't sit there and weigh out the options because stewardship recognizes that the gift entrusted to us is temporary. Point number two, the stewardship recognizes that the gift entrusted to me is 
temporary. Now, if you think about it, somebody who has that much money, that person who has that much money probably has a lot of people in his pocket. And so what these two guys are doing is they're actually risking their entire life for a variable return. Think about it. Dude gives you 15 years worth of pay. No, 75 years worth of pay. 30 years worth of pay. And you go and bet the entire thing? They risked their entire life. What if it didn't work out? Because at the end of the day, what Jesus is trying to tell us is here is God's economy is not based on safe bets. God's economy is not based on safe bets. Um, anybody watch CNBC here? Jim Cramer? Uh, uh, Mad Money? I used to love that show. That was my show. Jim Cramer, he was wild, he was crazy, he would tell you how to invest, he'll tell you all this good stuff. But the one thing Jim Cramer would always tell you, the higher the risk, the higher the return. And so these dudes go and they stake the entire money that they've been given. But the reality is, too often in life, we want to play it safe. We want to play it safe. And for Christians, we are the number one culprits of trying to play it safe. Point number three, God never entrusts us with a mission that comes with a comfortable safety net. You can look all through Scripture. God never entrusts us with a mission that comes with a comfortable safety net. Remember Moses? So if you're not familiar with this story of this guy named Moses, let me give you the quick story. So Moses was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite. He's born into slavery. He's born uh, under Egyptian slavery. His people have been enslaved for 400 years. And uh, this Pharaoh sees all these people uh, just being born and they're expanding and they're expanding. And there's hundreds of thousands of them. And soon enough, they start numbering more than the uh, Egyptian army. They start numbering more than the Egyptians themselves. And he's like, we've got to do something about this. So he institutes this, this, this edict to have Every male child killed. And they're going through and they're slaughtering them. And so Moses' mother, he's a baby, he's an infant. And so what she does is she puts together this little basket, throws him in this basket, wraps him up, and puts him out on the river. Long story short, Pharaoh's Pharaoh's daughter finds this basket on the water. And he's like, hey, she's like, There's a a baby in here. There's a live baby. We can't surely kill this baby. I mean, it's just, it's a cute little thing. It's kind of cooing. You know, Moses giving her those eyes, those baby eyes. She's like, man, we can't get rid of this child. So she takes him in and raises him as his own, as her own. And so now this Hebrew Israelite whose rest of their, his world, the rest of his family is all in slavery and he is being raised in Pharaoh's palace as one of the princes. He's hanging out. He's got the gold trimmed walls. He's got the bling. He's got the Ford probe, uh, old century style. I mean, he is riding fly. 
And then one day he's out walking around and he sees these Egyptians treating these Israelite slaves terribly. And so he gets upset and he sees them being abused and seeing them being treated harshly. And he's seeing them being subjected to all types of uh, craziness. And he ends up killing the Egyptian guard. Wait, hold on. Moses, you're a Hebrew. And you just killed an Egyptian for another Hebrew? And he recognizes what he's just done. Man, I'm, I'm really not. I'm not one of them. So he runs off, runs into the wilderness. Now Moses is wanted for murder. He's out and he gets married. He finds a new family and he's on the run and he gets older. And now he's 80 years old and God shows up. Not that God was anywhere else. God was always there. But God shows up in a real way and he tells Moses, hey, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt where you're wanted for murder to go back to Pharaoh's house who wants to kill you and tell him to let his entire workforce, his entire slave population, entire infrastructure crew to go. What? And that's about how he answered. What? Not me. I, I can't even talk, God. I got speech impediment. That's just not going to work. God never entrusts us with a mission that comes with a comfortable safety net. And this is, this is even, this is the crazy thing. God sends him out on this mission. And he tells him, oh, yeah, by the way, every time you say let my people go, Pharaoh's going to say no. Uh, really, God? So you're sending me on a fail mission, too. So you're sending me to walk into my death, and Pharaoh is going to say no to me. So what's my guarantee, God? Where's my safety net, God? Why am I going to stake my entire life on this, God? God, you want me to go for this new job. Why would I do that when I've got something comfortable here? God, you want me to go on this mission trip. I've never been outside of the United States in my life. God, you want me to go invite my boss who doesn't even like me to church because he needs a heart change? What's my safety net, God? Check out how God answers Moses. Exodus three eleven through 12. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This is how God responds. But I will be with you. But I will be with you. And here's your sign. This shall be the sign to you that I have sent to you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. I will be with you. You know how you know that it was me? When you get the job done. Really, God? That's all I get? Yeah, I'll be with you. Yeah, but God, hey, look, I'll be there. But God, I'm scared. I'm there. I didn't go anywhere. God never entrusts us with a mission that comes with a comfortable safety net. Our only safety net when we steward God's mission is that he will be with us. And sometimes I think we forget 
that the God who was there, who parted the Red Sea for the Israelites when they finally got out, is the same God who lives with us today, who exists in our lives today. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Point number four, stewardship recognizes that my faithfulness will be taken into account. Stewardship recognizes that my faithfulness will be taken into account. Anybody has gotten to, anybody rented an apartment or anything like that? Remember the um, end of lease agreement? So at the beginning of your apartment, you, you give this deposit. whatever it is. You give this deposit, and in your mind, I cannot wait till I leave this apartment because I'm getting that money back. But first, what do they have to do? They have to walk through. How many holes did you put in the wall? Did you paint the walls? Did you put them back in order? How did you keep this place? How is the carpet? Does it smell a little more funny than it was when you walked in? Because even in real life, stewardship recognizes that my faithfulness will be taken into account. You lease a car. You may have to pay more when you take that car back. Because if you didn't take care of it right, your stewardship will be taken into account. Here's the real. For all of us here, believer, not believer, Christian, not Christian, there's going to come a time where Christ is going to come and settle accounts with us. This faith that we've been given, these, these breath in your lungs. When the sun comes up in the morning, we all get 24 hours, believer or non-believer. We all breathe the same way. Our heart all beats. At the end of the day, these are all been gifts from God for us to steward. And Jesus is going to come. The Bible tells us that Jesus will return. And he's going to take an account. He's going to take an account on how we live our lives. He's going to take an account on uh, how we spent our finances. He's going to take account on how we stewarded his church, Christian. Now it says here, now after a long time. And this is significant because at this point, Jesus in the story has given three parables. So if you read back earlier in uh, Matthew 25, he's given them parables over and over and over. And he's trying to get one point certain. It says now after a long time, he's saying, look, you guys have been given a stewardship of life. Your faith has been is a stewardship, your your your. Your being is a stewardship. And after a long time, right now, it doesn't seem, I remember when I was growing up, my parents would be like, Jesus, no, no, my grandparents would be like, Jesus coming soon. And then my parents would be like, Jesus coming soon. And now I tell my kids, Jesus coming soon. And the fact that he's delaying does not mean he's not coming. He's coming soon. For some of us, coming soon would mean we're not going to make it too much longer. And so we're just going to meet him a little sooner than everybody else. But let's not, let's not take God's delay, Jesus Christ's delay, as his negligence. Everything he does is in order. 
And he's going to come and he's going to settle accounts with us. How are you going to be able to answer about the way you're living your life? When, when, when Jesus sits down with you and says, pull up a chair. You ever gone for a review, management review? Grab a chair. Oh, man. If I walk in and it's just like, hey, what's up, man? Great job. You're doing awesome. I'm so proud of you. Keep doing what you're doing. But when they're like, hey, pull up a chair, you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. Yes, boss. <clears throat> what's going on? Is Jesus going to say, you did such a great job? Or is he going to say, pull up a chair? Some things I want to talk to you about. And that's not meant to scare us. It's just supposed to help us get our ship in order. This life is a gift. Verse 20 and through 23. 23-23. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. You can see the little spring in his step. Master is back. Woo! Let me bring this money over here because he may just give me a cut out of this. I may get a little bit out of it. He comes, he's excited. Master, I've made five more talents from the talents you gave me. Now you've got ten. See? Second one comes. Verse 22, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. Now check this out. Verse 21 and verse 23, he answers the exact same way. Reading verse 23, he says, his master said to him, like he said to the first one, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord or your master. The first two produce. They both had varying amounts in which they produce, but they got the same reward. They got the exact same thing. You know, a lot of times we, we see what other people can do and we feel like they're much, you know, we see the worship team here singing. Our worship team is great. Can, can we give the worship team a round of applause? Our band, you guys are incredible. Faithful servants, they, they're up here, they're singing. You're like, well, God, I can't do that. Or you see the beautiful paint job in the cafe, and you look at John, and like, and John, John did such a great job painting. Man, I can't even color in the lines. God, what, what about me? I didn't, I didn't get the gifts like everybody else. They got the same reward. We're all going to get the same reward. We all look forward to eternity with Christ. We'll all give an account. And when we get to that point, we're going to get the same reward. It's not about how much we're producing. It's about how faithful we are with the product. See, the master was not concerned about the amount of money they earned, but at the faithfulness of the servant. And listen to this. God is not looking at the size of your impact, but the size of your commitment. Let's not get caught up with, man, I I wish I could do more. Just do. I love this statement. Bloom where you're planted. What are you good at? 
I know Teresa brings the most incredible snacks, and that's what she does. She's like, if I'm going to bring snacks to church, I'm going to bring the best darn snacks that y'all going to ever get. She's faithful. It's not about how much product you're producing, but how faithful you are with the product that he's given you. Point number five, faithful stewardship is more about the actual return. Is, faithful stewardship is worth more than actual return on investment. Stop looking at the result and think about how much you're committing, but what you're doing, how faithful you are to do what it is that God is calling you to do. Now check out verse 24 through 25. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, listen to what this guy said. Have you, have you, people who've read this text, have you, have you listened to what this dude said? Listen, this is, this is incredible to me, right? He also had one talent, verse 24, came forward and saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, or man uh, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Boss, with all due respect, you know when it starts with that, and it's coming with all the worst respect ever. Boss, with all due respect, you're kind of a jerk. And you know what? You require a little bit too much. And what's even worse is you think you should get more than you actually even deserve. That's what he's saying to this master. He says, he also had received the one talent and came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. He had an incorrect view of his master. The dude just gave you 15 15 years worth of pay for free. He didn't ask you anything else. He just says, here, here you go. I need you to steward this for me. And you call the dude a jerk? And you tell him, you know what? I hid your money in the ground. Here, take it. Because I figured if I made more money off of this, you would want that too. And I should get that because I worked hard and you don't deserve this because I'm the one here working while you were gone. Rather than seeing his master as generous, he saw his master as conniving. Have you ever thought that Many of us have an incorrect view of Jesus. And it leads to lackluster stewardship of the gifts that he's given us. See, three things. Look at this. 
if we see Jesus as too demanding or we see God as too demanding, then we think of his mission as a burden. If we think of Jesus, if we think of God too small, uh, then we don't see his mission as a priority. But if we see Jesus or God as too removed and he's this God that's out there, then we don't see it as a necessity. It's not that he's not there. We all just see it in three different ways. He's either too demanding, too small, or too removed. When we don't steward his gifts well. So we say stuff like, Jesus, that would be unfair for me to sacrifice my family for your mission. Jesus, that would be unfair to to give up my time for your mission. Jesus, it would be unfair for me to leave my home, my place of comfort for your mission. Jesus, it would be unfair for you to ask for 10% of my income that I work for. You're reaping where you did not sow, Jesus. What do you want my money? I earned it. Jesus, that's too hard. Jesus, that's too much. Jesus, that's out of my, uh, my comfort zone. The result of our stewardship will be based on our view of Jesus. Point number six, the result of our stewardship will be be determined by what we believe about Jesus. See, is he a jerk that requires too much? Or a generous master who chose us not because we deserved it, but decided to entrust us the free gift of salvation so that we can steward this amazing gift that would be life-transforming not only to us, but to so many people around us. Verse 26 and 27 This is how the master responds. He said, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful. You undeserving and lazy servant. You prideful and lazy servant. And then he asked me a question. He said, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? The master recognized, like, dude, you, you've got me all wrong. Shoot, if, if, you thought, if you thought that way of me, then guess what? Then you ought to have invested my money anyway. You should have gave it to the bankers. At least I would have come back and received what was my own with interest. It was my money anyway. You didn't have to go invest it anywhere. You could have just thrown it in the bank. But you hid it in the ground. 
You chose to look at the gift that I gave you and say it's not that serious. And here's the deal. In, in, in this time, Jesus is a Jew. And part of Jewish law, he's talking to a whole bunch of other Jews right now, and they're sitting around him. Jewish law prohibited interest from being charged to other Jews. And so as he's telling the story, he's saying one of two things. Follow me on this. He's either talking to a Gentile, which means somebody who was outside of the covenant uh, uh, community of the Jewish faith, who had no absolute deserving uh, anything to be a part of this community. And he's saying, I gave people who didn't even deserve this, who weren't supposed to get this, everything. How many of us in here would say we deserve Jesus to look at us? We deserve his faith. We deserve to be saved. Point number two, he's also maybe uh, telling this individual, maybe this person is a Jew. But he's saying, hey, servant, if, if you knew you couldn't charge interest for another, from, from another Jew, you should have taken this money and gone and traveled lands and done everything that you possibly could have done. You should have gone into Gentile land. You should have done everything possible to give me a return from investment. How faithful are we with the gifts that God has given us? Are we going through every length in our life to make sure that we're stewarding this well? God has given you a church. What are you going to do about it? Listen, the church is the number one redemptive vehicle Jesus instituted to bring hope and salvation to the world. And if you're a Christian, you're a servant of God, and he's put the church in your hands to steward. Imagine that. He trusts you with it. He trusts me with it. What are we going to do about it? See, the result of our stewardship will be based on what we believe about Jesus. And, and the beauty about this, he says, so take the talent from him who gave it to him, give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. Your faithfulness to steward God's mission will result in blessings in this life and in the life to come. Someone may be asking, hey, you know what, I, I don't even believe in this stuff. What are you telling me? The simple fact that you are sitting here today means God chose you because he wanted you to hear this message. He's got a gift to give you today. Are you going to receive it? I, one of my favorite writers, I read this book, it was incredible. He, he says this. And, and maybe you're here and you're like, I don't have a local church. I, I don't know what this means. What, what is this supposed to do for me? 
How can I be on mission with a local church? I don't even have a local church. I don't even have faith. I, this is what Brian Hasten said. Find a local church. Pour your heart in it. And you will never be the same. Check out this video that we have here. So uh, it's just been awesome getting to get out and serve the community. Uh, met some really cool people. Uh, got to talk to a lot of them. And just seeing the smiles on their faces as, as we've been able to hand them hot dogs or coffee or, or whatever it is. Same. No, I've enjoyed meeting new people and seeing everyone smile. Even though it was snowing, I think everyone had a good time. And I like serving alongside um, the relevant team. That was really, really fun.
guys think serving our community is important? It's because, like, it's really fun. You get to meet new people, and you get to say hi and give them a, rel a relevant card. It's important. I think it's important because the community is a wide variety of people that don't know Christ, and this is a chance to let Christ into them. and I love showing that Jesus is relevant. There's over 6,000 people just in this city who have never made a profession of any faith. And in this region, there's over 100,000 people who don't believe anything, don't know what to believe, don't know if they believe. And God has called us to plant a church here in this community, in this region, that uh, where people learn to passionately follow Jesus, where people learn to know what an authentic faith is. Not a faith about rules and, and regulations, not a faith about uh, this gift and that gift and this stuff and this stuff. This faith is just simply about turning people to Jesus. Whatever level of faith they're in, they may not believe at all, and they may believe a whole lot. We just want to keep the main thing, the main thing, his name is Jesus Christ. We want to see this community, this region, this world, see a place, a community of faith that has people from every walk of life. Every race, every political uh, 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 environment, every uh, economic uh, environment. Where people know that what unites us is much deeper than anything that separates us. And his name is, guess what? Jesus. Where people can walk in from wherever and know that they can find home here. We want a church that's not about just sitting here and gathering and just, just hanging out and just doing life together. And that's all that we do and we forget about people in the community. We want a church that's going out into the streets and that's meeting people and letting people know, like John said, we're just regular people. But we found the greatest gift that is ever known to man and his name is And we want to transform our community. We want to transform our homes. We want to transform our schools. We want to transform our workplaces with this message of hope that exists, that's there, that's available for anyone to choose. And if you've made a, never made a decision for Jesus, I just want to provide space for you to do that this morning. He's inviting you into the greatest mission ever known to man. It is the most exhilarating, most scary, most fun, most frustrating at times. But it's the most 
fulfilling thing you'll ever experience. And everybody, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If there's that person in here today, I just, I just want you to lead you in this prayer. If you're here and you know you've never made a decision for Jesus or, or maybe you've kind of been wrestling with your heart and today you want to say, Jesus, I give you my all. I'm ready to take the gift of a lifetime's worth of wages that you paid on the cross for my sins. If that's you, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you in exchange for your life. Because you paid the price and gave me the gift and you put it on your back. And now, God, you're calling me to steward it. And so I accept. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my neglect of your grace. And from now on and forevermore, teach me to know you. Teach me to have a right view of you. It is in your name I pray. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, I'm just going to ask you to fill out your connection card. We have a special gift for you. Hold on to it. Take it to the information hub. And if you don't have a local church, if you don't have a place you call home, I want to invite you into that. And if you do call this home, are you stewarding the gift that God has given you well? Do you think God too demanding? Do you think him too small? Do you think him too removed? He wants to show you today that he is more than you will ever imagine. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus. God, speak to us even throughout this week, Lord. May we, be remember, may we remember that we've been given the greatest gift in the world, and that's the gift of salvation, and the second gift is your local church, Lord. May we steward it well and reach this entire region, all 100,000 people, God. Our church, Summit Church, Mount Calvary, Hope Community Church, First Baptist, God, may we as the church reach this region with the greatest news known to man. And that's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.